Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Two Footer Tackle Podcast. I'm your host, Arishan Matakos. We are back again. Back again for another week. Um, yeah, it was an it was an interesting week. It was an interesting week of football. Not a lot to speak about until um, about twelve hours. Twelve hours time? Yeah, maybe thirteen. To no, yeah, about eleven hours ago, I should say. About eleven hours ago, when there was definitely something to talk about. So we'll definitely crack into some of that. Um, everyone should know what I'm talking about. It's probably the title of this podcast. Um, I hope everyone's up. I'm very well. Had a cracking weekend. If I do say so myself. Um, yeah. Make sure you subscribe to Two Foot Attacker Podcast. Do all the socials, Two Foot Attacker Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that good stuff. Um, and then audio platforms as well, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Five-star ratings, any five-star ratings would mean the world. And just cheeky, quiet, I'm going to tweet, a bit, tweet about this as well um, when the podcast is going to come out, or tomorrow when the podcast comes out. Um, if we could hit 400 subs by my birthday, 28th of April, that would be, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. So that's the aim. That is the aim. So once again, shout around, subscribe, and just shout around, subscribe, and then just, you know, do everything in your power to possibly get some subscriptions. That would mean the world. But let's crack in. So we got a, we got some pretty pretty entertaining entertaining things to talk about. We got we got quite a few things to talk about. Quite a few quite a lot of Australian football chat as well to speak on. Quite a few Australian quite a few Quite a few Australian football chat topics, if that makes sense. Um, but we're going to be speaking about Liverpool versus United. Obviously, we're going to be speaking about Reese Nelson, um, South End surviving just to touch on that. Um, the Women's League Cup final happened this morning, so we're going to be touching on that as well because that could have some ramifications for the Women's um, World Cup, which of course is happening in um, in Australia in June, mid-year, June July. So that's of course something that we want to um, that we want to speak about, and then some bumper A League chat. Victory, tactical review, bang, get that out the way. We're speaking on Adelaide versus Melbourne City, 4-2, massive game. And we're speaking about which which uncapped Socceroos or which uncapped Australian footballers need a cap. Of course, Australia playing two friendlies against Ecuador in March. Um, March, I think, late on. So that, of course, is something we're going to speak about. And the National Second Division, all 32 teams. All 32 teams have applied for their expression of interest. That list has been finalised. We're going to be speaking on that. And then we're going to be doing the preview of the week to finish things up. Let's crack things. Let's crack things on. Let's crack on. Maybe a little bit of a shorter podcast. Want to try speed this up a little bit? Okay. Let's start things off with Liverpool versus United. Now, um, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people were wondering what was going to happen with this game, and me myself, myself included. And I was hoping something happened. I went to bed. I didn't watch the game live, unfortunately, because got union unions have three a three thirty a.m. game on a Monday isn't exactly a very friendly time slot. But um, yeah, it is a. Um, it was a game which I went to bed, I shut my phone, uh, rolled over, and I was like, gee, I hope something happens. I hope I can speak about something tomorrow because I was kind of struggling for some talking points without this. And I woke up and I checked my phone, I checked my notifications on my phone, and I saw Liverpool 7, Manchester United nil, And I kind of looked at it confused, put my phone down, rolled back over, got another 10 minutes of sleep as I wake up 10 minutes before my alarm, wake up again and check the scores again because I did not think that I genuinely saw that right until I did see it right and then it was 7-0 and it was just unbelievable to see. Now, um, of course, this is quite a weird weird result, especially when you consider the context of seasons of the seasons for both United and Liverpool. If I had told you that this game was going to end 7-0, you would probably put your house on it that it'd be United winning 7-0, just based on their form, of course, winning the League Cup, not um, winning the League Cup only a matter of a week ago, being in the top four for most of the season, playing very, very good football under Eric Ten Hag, whereas you have Liverpool who are 
in the opposite scenario in a sense they have been um, heavily underperforming despite their despite their acquisitions of Darwin Nunes and Cody Yakpo um, Yakpo or Gakpo I'm going to go with Yakpo but Gakpo I don't know you know yeah Cody we'll call him Cody um, despite the acquisitions of both of them they've been underperforming and um, I don't think anyone kind of envisioned a 7-0 to be anywhere within the realm of possibility and I mean 40 minutes into the game when the game is stranded at nil all and both sides are kind of playing I wouldn't say timid football but no side really entrenched their dominance of the game early everyone was thinking yeah this could be a very typical um, this could be a this could be quite a typical like one nil, nil nil, one all kind of Manchester United Liverpool games, which has been the pattern for for quite a few times, especially in that like mid twenty tens, twenty fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. I've just felt like one nils or nil nils every time they played. But it was the goal just before half time by Cody Gakpo, fantastic goal cutting on his right, cutting on his right foot, and scoring a beautiful, a beautifully taken goal. And then from then on, half time comes and goes, and it's just a massacre. Nunes with his first, Gakpo with his second, Salah with his first, Nunes with his second, Salah with his second, and then Firmino in the in the dying or in the in the dying embers, um, scoring the seventh, his first, and of course quite fitting that he will be leaving uh, leaving Liverpool, so getting a goal, not on his farewell game, but getting a goal the day or very recently, very soon after he announced his um, imminent um, departure from the club. It's quite good to see seven nil, wow. Um, a couple of things coming out of this game is, is, I don't know, it's one of the, it's one of two things. I'm, I'm of two similar mindsets. And if you, if you follow me on Twitter at Ari underscore Y underscore Stammer, you'll know that I tweeted about this. Ari underscore Y underscore Stammer, S-T-A-M-A. Um, you'll know what, you'll know what I'm about to say when I say this. What is worse? Losing, like, losing seven is bad, but is losing... Five, four, five nil worse, and I I ask this question because, you know those things in football that just happen, like they just happen. You can't explain it. You can't give a reasoning. They just happen. Like, like um, I don't know how to like, like, I don't know how to describe it. But like Liverpool losing seven two at Aston Villa, right? It just happened. It just happened. You can't really describe it or kind of analyze it. It just happened. Um, Chelsea losing, Chelsea losing five two to West Brom at home. It it just happened, right? It was just a thing that happened. You can't explain it. It's one of those football things which you can't explain, and it it kind of defies logic. So you can kind of look at that result and laugh in a sense. So it's like the way I look at it is the way I look at it is I can't get over. I can't get over. Chelsea losing 4-0 to Man United, um, Lampard's first game in charge, right? Actually, maybe that's a maybe that's a bad example because Chelsea played well that game. But think about um what what game did we get just demolished in? Um, um I'm just trying to think. But like there's games there's games that like there is games that happen in football which you look at in, in initially and just think, how did that happen, right? Just how did that... That does not happen, right? And then... So you kind of look at it as like a little bit of an anomaly. You look at it as like, oh yeah, that just happened because football is weird and sometimes this happens in football, right? Um, so sometimes that happens in football, right? So you can't really take a lot into it. You can't really analyse it in a sense. But then in the same vein, it's like... 
you lost 7-0. Like, 7-0. Seven, seven goals to zero. And then you also look at it in the, from the perspective of, that is humiliating. Like, like when you think about humiliating Premier League results, obviously 8-2 at Old Trafford, Arsenal versus, Liverpool, Arsenal versus um, United, or United versus Arsenal springs to mind. You're thinking, you're thinking Liverpool 5, United 0 um, at Old Trafford. You're thinking, you're thinking, I don't know, Manchester City 6, Chelsea 0 at the Etihad. You're thinking... Um, you're thinking five one Liverpool at home to um to Arsenal back back in the um Sturridge Sterling Suarez era. You're thinking those type of results, right? And now this has to be is this the worst one? Is this the most is this the most humiliating result in Premier League history? Considering the rivalry between both teams where both teams are in terms of the ladder and their form and the vibe around either club and the the way in terms of pre-game expectations, like if I said to you before the game, this game was going to end 6-0 or 7-0, you would probably say yeah, United would win that game because that's just how things were going to happen if it was to happen to be a 7-0 result. The fact that if Liverpool had won the game, some people may consider it some sort of an upset considering obviously United just won the League Cup, performing better, have a much better... It, like their team is clicking more than than Liverpool's at the moment, so for Liverpool to kind of be underdogs in this game to an extent and still win and like and then win seven 0 I should say, it has to be it has to be one of the most humiliating results in Premier League history, right? And it's something that it's something that bears no kind of positive positive outlook. Whereas and the reason the reason I bring that up and the reason I mention that is because. Obviously, when you think Liverpool versus United, you think you think Liverpool versus United, you think humiliating results. You think about the five 0 at, at Old Trafford last year. A lot of United fans, maybe not at the time, but a lot of United fans in in hindsight think about that game and say, you know what, actually it wasn't the worst thing. We got Ole out of the club. We got that game pretty much. I think that was the last game Paul Pogba played in a Manchester United shirt. It probably wasn't, but it was one of the lasting memories that Paul Pogba had in a Manchester United shirt, getting sent off in that game. And at the end of the day, nothing really happened from it because United, nothing really happened to United in terms of nothing catastrophic. And then Liverpool didn't ever win the league. So you can't even look at that game and say, oh, yeah, that game won Liverpool the league. Whereas I whereas I think a lot of people will look at that, maybe maybe look at the 2-0 at Anfield, that game for Liverpool, as like a lot of United fans will be annoyed more about that game than the 5-0 because of the semi kind of positive outlook that that 5-0 had, whereas this 7-0 result has nothing. Absolutely no positive can come out of it. You can't even think about it saying, oh yeah, this will get our manager sacked because United fans obviously don't want that. You can't look at it and say, oh yeah, it's going to get these players out of the club because, I mean, these were the same group of players that won you your first trophy in however long, like literally a week ago, right? The the talent is obviously there for, for something good to happen. So it's it's quite funny how how a similar result can be looked at in two different perspectives. Obviously for Liverpool, it's a massive result, like a massive result for confidence, for confidence of Darwin Nunes, for confidence of Cody Gakpo, confidence of Mo Salah, like for confidence of the whole team, right? I mean, is there an apology in store for Darwin Nunes? I mean, is there? 
he obviously scored against Newcastle recently. Was a, took took that finish quite well. Took both his goals well. Is there something here? Is there something here where we're like, all right, no, Darwin Nunes is actually like a pretty good player. I mean, I mean, if you want to go back to my preseason predictions, you you will see that I did say that he will outscore Haaland this season. Um, obviously, I'm wrong, and obviously, I'm a fool. But it's quite funny how it's quite funny how that was looked at, or I looked at it at least as like a what the hell, like you're an idiot. And then it's uh, it's come back in this game, and you're thinking, oh no, Nunes is actually a pretty good player. Um, I think this is Cody Gakpo's breakout game. Hasn't had a good start as Liverpool, but I think scoring two against United. Did he get an assist? Um, I think he might have got an assist at, uh, at some stage. No, he didn't. Shame. He did get an assist, but he did score two, and was playing in that kind of up. He, I mean, Sofa School lists him as playing up front, but it did float out to the left. Nunes coming inside, which allowed Salah to really make that right hand side his own. It's kind of that dynamic, that shifting of dynamic between pushing out to the right-hand side, or like, sorry, overloading that left-hand side with numbers. Of course, Andrew Robertson as well is one of those players that pushes up really high. Having having those a lot of those numbers on the left-hand side with, with, with one of those players coming inside as playing as like a proper inverted, inverted striker in a sense. No, that's not it. Inverted winger. Making those diagonal runs forward like Nunes and Gakpo both did throughout in periods of that game, which allows um, Salah that space on the right-hand side to flourish. Um, so did Harvey Elliott played really well as well. So... Um, yeah, it's unbelievable result, unbelievable turn of events. Humiliation is is definitely the the word for it, um, which is weird to say because, I mean, I mean United are still in third place. They're four points clear with the game in hand of Tottenham, and you look at Liverpool who jump Newcastle. Liverpool jump Newcastle. Granted, Newcastle have two games in hand over Tottenham who are in fourth. Liverpool have one game in hand, three points behind, and a better goal difference than Tottenham. So it's almost it's almost top top four is probably is probably theirs right top four is probably theirs and I don't think you can kind of say it any other way top four is theirs is theirs to lose I should say top four is theirs to lose because assuming they win their game in hand I don't know who it is against um, a lot of teams do have games in hand assuming they win their game in hand they're gonna jump Tottenham. Um, they're going to jump Tottenham, and you you would think that if this is Darwin Nunes' breakout game, is if this is Cody Gakpo's breakout game, if this is the game that gets the mojo back for Fabinho and for Trent and for Virgil and for these players who have been slightly underwhelming this season, um, then then it is going to be a it's going to be a um, yeah it's going to be an interesting kind of battle for um, battle for the top four in which Liverpool have the experience have the experience in, in kind of big games and in clutch moments in the in the back end of the season. Of course, granted, they didn't win the league either time. They were in that close setting, but I think that was more due to Manchester City just not losing rather than Liverpool dropping any points. Um, and, of course, when we look at that season where they were terrible, it was the COVID year. When they, um, season up, they won the league when they were terrible with all those injuries. They came back and they did end up making top four that season. So they do have experience in this. Klopp, of course, is a manager that knows what to do. Um, they've got a group of players who know what to do. I think top four should be theirs right now. But for United, who knows what happens from here? Some heads are going to be on the chopping block for sure. I can't, I can't see it. I can't see it any other way in which. Um, I can't see it in any other way in which, um, in which there isn't some heavy ramifications in the in the fallout of this of this result for United both. Staff wise, obviously, obviously not speaking about Everton Hug, but like 
the way that they go about their 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 preparation for big games, I think, is one of the way that their leadership as well. Bruno, I didn't watch the game from the clips I saw from the highlights I saw, and from I didn't I didn't actually end up actually watching quite a, a lot of the game, um, because of because of like clips and stuff and highlights and uh, mini matches and what what have you. Bruno, not really being a leader. Um, pretty sure he had the captain's armband, which if he did, is quite concerning. He did have the captain's armband. Now, to me, the fact that that isn't on Rafa Varane or Casemiro is a disgrace. Um, they're leaders. I know Casemiro did go missing and can be a little bit hot and cold at times. Um, Bruno is the definition of hot and cold. When things are going right, they're going really right. When things are going wrong, they're going really wrong. Um, there you go. Something, some food for thought there about the potential, potential leadership changes at Manchester United. But, but, it's funny. It's funny because I don't think I think this resulting isolation is hum, like obviously it's humiliating and obviously it's a, obviously it's a horrible thing to happen. But I don't think it is an indictment on the football club. I think when United lost five nil, five nil to Liverpool at Old Trafford a couple of last year, that was an indictment on the football club. That was a, holy shit, we suck. Like, we are terrible. Terrible. I don't think this is that. When we look at their, when we look at their um, next games, they've got Batiste in the first, in the first leg of the, um, of the um, Euro- Europa League. At home, they've got Southampton at home, Batiste away, Brighton away. That's postponed, so they don't have that. They've got Fulham at home in the FA Cup. And then they've got, um, and they've got, you know, Newcastle, Brentford, Everton, Forest, Chelsea, Tottenham, Villa, West Ham, Wolves, Bournemouth, Fulham. I've gone through the, the rest of the fixtures. But they should be fine. Should be. This isn't in Diamond on Football Club. It's just an, a shock and anomaly result, in my in my honest opinion. But there you go. Okay, let's move on. Um, let's move on. Let's, yeah, let's move on. Let's touch on... Let's touch on Reese Nelson, shall we? Let's touch on Reese Nelson. Um, of course, it was it, it it was Arsenal's crowning moment. It was Arsenal's moment of oh shit, no, we're gonna win the league. That's what it was for me. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's theirs now. It is theirs, and the reason I say that, despite the gap not being that big. Despite it only being five points, despite it being Man City, the chasers who will be relentless, those games make or break seasons. People look at, people look at, people look at big moments in history, in in league battles. You're thinking the one that springs to mind straight away is Liverpool, Liverpool one, City two at the at the Etihad in eighteen nineteen, um, the Johnstones clearance off the line. You people look at that game and think. Literally millimetres, right? That ball goes this far over the line, Liverpool win the leg, right? But to me, they're they're the games... They aren't the games that win your leagues. The games that win your leagues is when you verse the teams... Teams like Bournemouth, Everton, West Ham, Forest, Wolves, Palace, Southampton, Leicester, at home, midday kickoff, a couple of injuries. They're the games. They're the games that win or lose leagues. They're the games that make or break seasons because it's a, a game which you can't lose. Like, if, if if Arsenal versus Man City tomorrow and lose, 
people will, people will turn and say, you know what, they could have lost. They, they, they lost that. Man City, a great team. Great team. 50-50 game, in my opinion, right? So the mentality from that of it being... Uh, like, the mentality in response to that loss can be, oh, shit, we just lost to one of the best teams the world has has it almost ever seen, right? One of the best teams, one of the best best teams in Premier League era, in the Premier League era, probably the best pound for pound team in the world. We can accept losing to them. We're going to rebound, win all the games we should, and we should be fine. We should be on track, right? But if you lose to Brighton at home, or if you lose to Brentford at home, or Bournemouth at home, or Fulham at home, or Leicester at home, these games that you should win. They're the ones that could get into the psyche of the players and have them drop drop their or have them down tools big time. They're the ones. They're the mentality killers. Those losses, because it puts so much pressure on the game against Man City, on the game against United. Because when those fifty fifty games come about, you need to have that security blanket of okay, if we don't get a result, it's okay because we won the games we should have won. So if you need to win 15 games in a row, let's just say, and you win and you your your last game is against Manchester City, if you've won your 14 games previous, you can approach that game against Manchester City and say, if we don't get a result, not good, but not the end of the world because we've won those 14 games that we should have won. If you If you lose one of those games, if you lose two of those games, the pressure on that Manchester City game is amped up tenfold. Because you have to win. Because you dropped points where you shouldn't have. So now you need to gain points where you potentially shouldn't have either. Which is a lot harder to do. A lot harder to do. And... As I get a quick drink of water. So, this game is... I looked at this game and I thought Arsenal should win this. I was on a call with some people at the time. and um, We were doing the... And, I just here. Yeah, I'm obviously watching the Chelsea game. Chelsea won, by the way. What a surprise, right? We sc- we scored a goal and we did a win. I was I'm as shocked as everyone else. But I was on a call and I'm obviously watching the Chelsea game or getting the Chelsea game set up on my TV and stuff. Yeah, Google Play. What is it? Google. What is it? Stream Chromecast. That's the one. Um, Jesus Christ. Streaming it onto my TV, just setting all that good stuff up, and I just hear, "Oh my God, Forest have scored." I'm like, "What?" I'm thinking, he's pulling my leg. He's pulling my leg. He's like, nah, Forrest have scored. I was like, what? So all of a sudden, Arsenal are on the back foot. And then they score again just after half time. And you're thinking, this is going to be a stretch for them to win now. Yeah, 57th minute, Marcos sends here. And now all of a sudden, it's like, right, you can't, nothing to lose, right? Partey scores not long after. And then Reese Nelson comes on and almost with his first touch sets up Ben White at the back post who scored his first Premier League goal. Scored his first yeah, scored his first league goal since he was playing for Leeds, which was three seasons ago, which is quite funny. Um and of course some dodgy penalty shouts here and there, some handballs which weren't given, and then the moment, right? The the moment in which Reese Nelson stamped himself into stamped himself into football into Arsenal folklore but into in Premier League folklore and also probably football folklore um when you look at when you look at goals 
it, it it's such a weird it's such a weird thing because the Arsenal weren't going to lose that game, right? If Arsenal if Nelson didn't score, Arsenal would still get a point, right? And there's still twenty games to go, give or take. Sorry, still twelve games to go. So it's not the end of the world, right? I, st- I still think Arsenal do Arsenal versus Manchester City. It's still, yeah, Arsenal still have to verse Manchester City. So it's it, it really it doesn't really mean that much in terms of the grand scheme of things. I know what I said before about those games winning titles, but when you look at it from a purely numbers perspective, it doesn't really mean them. It doesn't really mean that much, right? Because it's still 12 games to go, you're still winning the league, and you've still got to verse the team that's chasing you. So if you win that game, then whatever. But with the way, with the nuances that football can produce, and with the nuances that football, or this Premier League season in particular has, that goal wins Arsenal the Premier League. A goal in that 97th minute off that corner wins Arsenal the Premier League. And my mind went straight to Danny Welbeck. Straight to Danny Welbeck. And his goal against Leicester in a season which it was Arsenal's to lose, despite them never really being in the box seat. They were the only team to beat Leicester, who eventually won the league twice. Man City were underperforming, United were underperforming, Liverpool were underperforming, Chelsea were underperforming. Leicester were leading the league, who had just scraped scraped survival by the skin of their teeth last the season previous. Spurs, who are notorious bottle jobs, who are having a season of their who are having the season of their life in their own right, were the the next best were the next best challengers. With the team that Arsenal had, with the manager that Arsenal had, with the aura that Arsenal had, it was their time in twenty fifteen. And that goal kind of allowed a lot of people to sit back and think that would that that is that is the crowning moment for them, and a lot of Arsenal fans thought they won the league that day. A lot of Arsenal fans thought they won the league that day, because it was the moment. Like it's the moment. Welbeck coming back from injury, the much maligned forward, who has been, um, yin and yang, who's been Jekyll and Hyde for a lot of Arsenal supporters, has come up in the clutchest of clutch moments with the last kick of the game to win against the team that is top, gain three points at home with momentum heading into the back end of the season. That was their moment, right? That was their moment. Of course, of course, we all know what happened. Olivier Giroud goes on a 15-game goal drought and Arsenal don't win the league. But they should have. And I think that moment has not haunted, but has been in the back of Arsenal fans' minds constantly throughout this horrible kind of four to five years in which they've been through being very poor, underperforming, changing managers, changing philosophies, everything around it. This moment of, we should have won the league. We should have won the league. And now it is a... Now it's... Oh my God, it's back. Like, I thought it was that moment for when Enketia scored against United. It turns out you can get even more dramatic than that. In which Reese Nelson shifts onto his left foot, fires it across goal. And... Fires it across goal and... and Neto in goal can't get anywhere near it and it goes in and that's the moment now where I think I mean it can't happen again can it it can't happen again they can't have another moment like this another moment like this and not win the league 
it's happened to them once. It's happened so cruelly, like, like so torturously, in twenty sixteen or whatever it was. I don't think it can happen again, and I think the football gods, in a way, are kind of looking down on them and saying, "Yeah, you've earned it now. You've won it. This is your time. This is it. There you go. Win the league. Take it." And in a game in which they were missing key players, no Granit Xhaka, no Gabriel Jesus, no Ben White for for the most part. It was and and funnily enough, the only the, the only reason why Reese Nelson comes on is because Smith Rowe, who came on for the injured Leandro Trossard, got injured himself and had to come off. And that's the only reason why Reese Nelson was brought into the game. It, it it is it is a thing only football can kind of conjure up. It is it is a it's a moment in which we'll etch, etch this goal down, etch this goal down as one of, and it will be it will be forgotten about. It will be forgotten about because there's going to be more moments. You can look to that Arsenal versus Manchester City game in um, in a couple of weeks' time say a couple of weeks' time, it's in about a month and a half's time, um, you can look at that game and think, that game's going to have a moment, whatever moment that is, whether that's a red card, whether that's a goal, whether that's a save, whether that's a penalty miss, whether that's a VAR decision, that game's going to have a moment. And when it, and however the title race is decided, that moment in that game will be the memorable moment of the, of the, um, of the season, right? When you're speaking at it from a title race perspective. But this game, this goal, this occasion is the moment. As well as in Ketia's against against United, of course, but this is the moment. This is the goal right now. Where okay, It was just, yeah, it, it, it speaks, it like, it kind of free, like, you know that, like, um, scratch, freeze, well, I was like, what is it, like, freeze frame scratch, this is me, and you're probably wondering how I got here, that thing. You can freeze the moment in time in which the ball's over the line but hasn't quite rippled the back of the net yet. And if I could just see the faces of the Arsenal supporters in the crowd in that split second where the ball's over the line but it hasn't quite hit the net yet. So they don't know if it's gone in. They don't know if it's if it's gone wide or gone over or whatever. But it was a, yeah, moment. Moment. A, a, a moment. That's what it was. Um... Another zero point zero four xg, which is absurd. Like you don't score those goals. You don't score those goals. Is it, was it on his opposite foot? What foot is Reese Nelson? On his opposite foot as well. I'm pretty sure it was a left footed truck. Anyway, if I can re- remember it correctly. Um. Yeah, it, you don't score those goals in that in that time. It doesn't happen. It it, it it's a video game goal. It is. It is a. It is a. Um, it's a goal that happens. It's a goal that doesn't happen to. It it doesn't happen in real life. No one scores those goals, man. Like, like no one scores those goals at that time for that for their team in that occasion. But it did happen last night or two nights ago. Magical, like a magical moment. And as much as Arsenal fans are insanely insufferable. It's it's quite something, isn't it? It's quite something, and I mean, you look at you look you look at like 
um, other moments in football history. Like, you look at other moments in football history like this. The Aguero goal, obviously. Um, a lot of other goals in this time. Title-winning goals. Um, Gundogan's last year. I think it was Gundogan, wasn't it? Against Villa. While it wasn't as dramatic as the Aguero moment, I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of goals are going to get more dramatic than that. Um, yeah, it's up there. It's up there, and it's going to go unnoticed. It's going to go unnoticed because of the team, because of the player, because of the opposition, because of the period in the season in which it's on, in which it's played, because it's a twelve p.m. kickoff, midday kickoff. Um, those games simultaneously running. Not a lot of people watching it. Blackout, of course. That game, that game wasn't shown in England. To my knowledge, anyway. That game was not shown in England. To my knowledge. How ridiculous. I don't think it was, anyway. I think that, I think that's how the blackout works. All the games at 12pm aren't shown on, on, on TV. Which is insane. Um, but there you go. Reese Nelson at the death. Let's move on. I realise I say let's move on a lot. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, I real I do realize I say, let's move on a lot, but um, let's um, yeah, so yeah, let's move on. Um, let's go to let's go to South and South End United, South End United. Is that it? Is that the is that the name of the club? I hope it is. Otherwise, that's quite awkward. South End, yeah, South End United. Now, you probably maybe some people are confused as to what I as to what I'm actually saying. But they are a side who currently play in the um, in the National League, in the National League, which is the fifth tier. So it goes Prem, Champ, League 1, 2, non-league, National League. That's where they are. They currently sit eighth. Um, the same league that Wrexham are playing in. They are, yeah, the same league that Wrexham are playing in. They are they are 32 points behind Wrexham, who are, who are top, just for some, you know, just for some context. And you're probably thinking, why, why am I going to speak about South End? Well, South End's recently, I think it was over the weekend, um, I think it was on the third of March, or maybe on the second of March, um, just were they were days away from folding as a football club. This is a football club that has not a, while it may not have a steeped history in in in, in English football, they are definite they they are a definite mainstay. In, in English football, right? They are a side that... They're a team that a lot of people... Um, they're, they're a team that a lot of people know, especially especially in that... In England, they are well-known. They do have a they do have a reputation. And um, they are... I think the, regardless of the... Regardless of, of who they are, I think that the fact of the matter is that they are a football club. They're a professional football club that's been around. It's been around ever since... Um, uh, 16, uh, 1906, fucking speak English. You may know the ground Roots Hall, Roots Hall, Roots Hall, Roots Hall. It's pretty awkward saying that in a Australian accent and also with the connotations that, that the word root has in this country. Roots Hall, that's the, that's the name of the ground. Um, so you probably wanted to speak about basically they were days away from going out of business and going into administration and suffering the same fate that Barry FC suffered not that long ago. 
they had un they had debts which which they haven't which which they weren't paying, and if they hadn't paid them by I think it was the second or first of March, they would have been kicked out of the football league. Those debts have been paid, so luckily they're still around for the time being, and it is a sigh of relief for football in general that they are still around. But this speaks a lot about a couple of things. Firstly, it speaks a lot about the AFL. And the reason I say this is because they, they need to take action and get their owner out of the club. Ron Martin, who is the owner, has driven that club into the ground quite clearly. And he's obviously not fit to, to run a football club. I, I don't think he attends home games. He's such a stain on football that the AFL need to step in and they need to kick this guy out because he's not fit to run a football club and he's going to... He was days away from ruining a football club. Like, ruining a football club. And this says a lot about that person. This says a lot about the way that football is. You're having you're having teams spend £100 million on a player. You're having teams spend £600 million in a transfer window and yet a club to... And yet, and yet a club... In the same country, is a professional club is struggling to to pay a to pay debts that is probably two weeks' wages of the the highest paid player at said football club. It it says a lot, right? It says a lot, and and people forget. People are like like a lot of people. This obviously isn't that big of a news story. I, I really haven't seen it anywhere, but this is people's livelihood like not necessarily job but a lot of people when you go to football right when you go to football when you go to sport when you go to if it's, if it's AFL NRL cricket whatever when you go to when you go to sport I feel like this is a little bit more poignant in football though you don't go to you don't go to see an entertainment venue you don't go to entertainment and and I thought about this because I did attend the Ed Sheeran concert at the MCG on Thursday. Um, it was a pretty good gig. Uh, it was alright. Um, I enjoyed myself. But I was thinking. I was thinking throughout. I was thinking. There's 108,000 people here. I'm watching one of the greatest artists of our generation. Arguably my favorite artist ever. Right. I love him. And I'm watching it at my favorite stadium in the world with my family. It, I, I should. That should be one of the greatest nights of my life. Right realistically that should be one of the greatest nights of my life and i was sat there thinking i was like this is good this is good but i'd rather be i'd rather be watching a sporting club right now i'd rather be watching sport and and i'd rather be at a i'd rather be at that place like i don't know how to describe it because despite Everything about that night, for example, being very, very good. And this will relate back to Southend in a moment, I promise. There was always something missing. And what what was missing was that sense of belonging, community, passion that I think only football can bring a lot of people or only sport can bring a lot of people. So when you when I when I was looking through, I was reading about what it was going on, I was thinking about the Southend fans and I was like their football club goes under. That is their life ruined for a lot of people. That is, that has been their life. That has been their escape. That has been their that is them. It's part of their identity. If you if I if I go if I if I go to a, a, like if I go to Southend, if I meet a Southend fan and I 
introduce myself. I think within the first five sentences, he'll probably say, or they'll probably say, "Yeah, I'm a Southend supporter, right?" But that that is that is the same with every club, right? Every club, especially if you, especially if it's a, especially if you're speaking about sport in particular, right? But I think just generally, it still it still works. But you can't replace it. That that's kind of the point that I was thinking is you can't replace it. You cannot replace it because a lot of people are like, "I'll oh, just." Just do do something else. Find another hobby. Because football is going to a hobby. Like, football is a hobby, right? Going to football is a hobby. People are like, find another hobby. It doesn't work like that. Like, like it doesn't work like that. There, It is a... Beyond a hobby, it's probably beyond a job in terms of the value it has to a lot of people's life. Like, like Pete... Like, I wouldn't say a lot of people, but I can guarantee you there's a, a vast majority of people who would rather lose their job than their football club. Because you can get another job. You can get, you can get another job, you can survive without a job, right? For at least periods. A lot of people can't survive without their football club because it is the ultimate release, it is the ultimate escape, it is the ultimate community, it is the ultimate entertainment it is it is the pinnacle of every human emotion for a lot of people. It is the happiest you'll ever feel. It's the saddest you'll ever feel. It's the most nervous you'll ever feel. It is the angriest you'll ever feel. It it, it has the it, there's like the standard. I'm, I'm obviously speaking objectively here and and kind of stereotyping and um, averaging out if that makes sense. When there's the average of like every emotion. Football breaks that ceiling. Like I said, it can make people the happiest it's ever been. Like for me personally, the happiest I've ever been is watching a football game. I think people know what football game I'm speaking about. Um, the saddest I've ever been has probably been watching a football game. The angriest I've ever been has been watching a football game. The most nervous I've ever been has probably watching a football game. Like, barring of course extreme exceptions, obviously like extreme ex- ex- exceptions in which you will feel, yeah, like, it, barring, of course, the extreme um, extreme exceptions in which you feel true sadness or true happiness, and I think people can understand what I mean by that, but there is no other hobby, at least, and there is no other recreational activity or there is no other thing that you can do that can bring you such range of emotions, which means that it is it, people get attached to it really quickly, so, and people die for it, like, people will attach themselves for life to it. So being able being inches away from losing that, I don't know, just made me think. Just made me think and it made me think about how good how good I've got it. I mean I I did choose to support Chelsea. They aren't shock shock horror, they aren't my local team. Um unless local is fucking seven million kilometers away or however far West London is from Melbourne, Victoria. Um but for those who aren't lucky enough to pick your team, which I don't really think is a, I don't really think it's a, I don't really think it's a kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think it's a privilege to pick your own team. I think you're born with your team. You're born with your team. And that is the team you're born with and that is the team you'll die with, right? And for that team and for that identity to be ripped away from you through no fault of your own, it would be one of the most painful things that, that a lot of people could experience. So, I don't know. It just made me think. 
it just made me think about it just made yeah jesus christ how's the hair on that for those watching on youtube the i just moved my my headphones back and i've got i've got headset hair but um uh yeah that is um yeah it just made me think just made me think that shit a football club could be taken away from a lot of people and how lucky premier league sides have got it when i when i say chelsea are going through a banter era if that banter era is finishing fifth winning the europa league winning an fa cup and signing a player with 100 million pounds then sign me up for more of those, please, because at least I've got my football club, and at least they're playing good football, right? Instead of playing in the conference and nearly going bust. So, perspective. Perspective. All right, I don't know how on earth I've spoken spoke 44 minutes, but there you go. Let's move on. I was actually planning on not speaking a lot this episode, because I've got quite a lot to cover, but... Okay, um, we're going to be moving on. Let's speak about the Women's League Cup final. It was it was sold out at Selhurst Park. It was a 3-1 win to Arsenal over my Chelsea. Sam Kerr scored, which is great for um, Australian Chelsea supporters. Great for Australia as well, considering the Socceroos are... Sorry, not the Matildas, I should say. My apologies. Um, good, considering the Matildas are going to be um, playing the Women's World Cup, World Cup on home soil coming up in June and July, I'm pretty sure. Um, we Yeah, so basically the reason why I want to speak about this is because there's been absolutely fuck-all promotion about the Women's World Cup in Australia, and it's extremely annoying because, firstly, women's football is massive. Like, women's football is massive. It, it, the League Cup final was, was sold out Selhurst Park, right? So it, it's big. It's not like it was 10 years ago where it wasn't really that big. Women's football is big, right? And the Matildas are a very, very good football side. Like, they're a very good football side. Granted, there's been some controversy recently. I mean, should the coach go? Should the coach stay? There's been a lot of conjecture around that. But I think the talent that the Matildas have is very good. Very good. Especially with the likes of Sam Kerr leading the line. She is... It's like like when when we speak about the Socceroos and we think about oh yeah we've got we've got Garen Quall coming on like we've got Garen Quall as the future of the Socceroos or we've got like Riley McGree like these are good players Sam Kerr is one of the world's best players in the women's game right one of the world's best players like she is the probably the equivalent of like an Erling Haaland or like a Robert Lewandowski right an elite elite level player right and the fact that she plays for us and the fact that she's leading the line hopefully leading the line like i would um for our nation in our home world cup how isn't this being spoken about more i don't know especially i mean when we look at the when we look at the um obviously the olympics was the olympics had the ability to get a lot of traction around the matildas um it was a it was a okay performance um at the olympics i think we lost we lost to sweden i'm pretty sure later on of course we beat we beat great britain as well which is pretty good which is a good result in extra time um i think we lost sweden or the us or canada one of the teams i know canada won it but of course that shone a lot shone a light on a lot of players throughout that tournament of course the likes of like i know mary fowler got a lot of um got a lot of plaudits in the back throughout that tournament and of course in the in the um afters of it but there are a lot of extremely talented players playing in very playing like we've got how many how many of our girls are playing in the in the Premier League, right? Kerr is obviously the the, the style of it, but there's so many, right? We have a cracking team, the Matildas are very, very good. It's a 
tournament in which a lot of people are going to come to watch. A lot of people are going to come to watch. Melbourne and Australia in particular is not going to know what's going to hit them when the Women's World Cup comes around. I don't know why we aren't getting around it more. Like, I don't know why we're getting around it more. Why we aren't getting around it more. Like, is it a lack of knowledge? Maybe. Is that... does, Does some fault have to go to the broadcast in terms of we aren't teaching the casuals which I mean is myself included. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand here and say that I know everything about the women's game. I I do have a lot to learn and I want to learn and considering that we've got the World Cup in our on our home fucking soil in a couple of months with one of the better teams in the world. It's like it's a perfect opportunity to get people invested into the women's game. And not only that, if people get invested into the women's game, it's just gonna help football in general. It's just gonna help football in general. So for those people who are saying, oh, it's women's football, who gives a shit? If you get around women's football, it's going to help every single other facet of football. That's just how it works. So, yeah. I don't know why we aren't getting around it more. Is it a lack of knowledge? Maybe. Is it ignorance? Maybe. Is it naivety? Maybe. Because a lot of people don't understand how big women's football is. Like 1.9 billion, 1.19 billion people watched the last Women's World Cup, women's World Cup in 2019. And it has only grown. It has only grown tenfold since. Like... There's going to be a lot of people watching this tournament. Um, yeah, and if you are in Australia, get down. Go to some games. Buy tickets because they are selling out quite quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, something I want to speak about considering I saw that it got sold out and I saw that, of course, um, of course, um, some Socceroos were playing. Some Socceroos, some Matildas. I do apologise. Sorry, it's it's muscle memory. Some Matildas were playing. Um, some Matildas were playing. In that game, of course, Sam Kerr scoring. Sam Kerr scoring was the um, was the main thing, but of course, Steph Catley as well is a. Um, I'm pretty sure, yeah, is a another player. So yeah, so Catlin Ford as well. There's a lot of players, right? Like um, a lot of players who have who are playing in the who are playing in the upper echelons of women's football. Who I don't understand why we aren't getting around more, considering. Everything I've spoken about. But I digress. Let's move on. Let's move on to A-League chat, right? And, I mean, it's 50 minutes, so this is going to go... This episode is going to be long. <laughs> this episode is going to be long. I didn't actually... I didn't mean it to be this long. I just speak so much. Fuck's sake. All right. Let's touch on some A-League chat, and I'm not going to even track the time anymore because this is going to be a long podcast, but it is what it is. And I even kept the intro down to, like, two minutes as well, which is even more shocking. All right. Let's move on. Let, let's go. Let's go on the alley chat, and let's all right, let's kick things off. I want to do a victory tactical review. Um, before we get into the tactical review of Melbourne victory, um, I just need to process myself before I speak about it. Of, of like obviously, obviously this is probably going to be coming from partly a neutral like perspective. I'm trying to be very unbiased when I speak about this, but also a very biased and Melbourne victory centric perspective, right? Because as a fan. I couldn't be more just frustrated and disappointing, disappointed with how everything has transpired this season. Of course, Victory have been a have been a premier club for the A League for a long time. They of course had the two seasons um, in which they were more than disappointing. Last season was much better in terms of they were actually good. They made the semi finals, lost was it four one on aggregate to to Western to Western United and who eventually won the thing, right? So not slightly underwhelming, but it's not as if it was the worst thing in the world. And Victory went into this season 
with a lot of expectation, a lot of expectation for a lot of people. Of course, the ins, um, Nani was, of course, the marquee player. He, of course, has suffered an ACL injury, which has been very disappointing. He won't play for the rest of the season, but even the likes of, even even the likes of, I mean, later on, Bruno Fornaroli came a little bit later on, the likes of these players who have come in and who are, who are like, state, who are, Eight good A-League players, like the team, the talent is very, very good. Very, very good individuals. And a lot of people just expected it to be the same thing. And the season didn't start all that great. It was, regardless of the results, the performances were slightly underwhelming. And a lot of people did sit back and think, you know what, probably just taking a while to ease into the season. Some injuries, players unfit, etc. It'll be, it'll be a while until they properly ease into it, but you expect victory to kick on a little bit later on. And it just didn't happen. It just did not happen. There has been no real kind of... There's been no real... Something just is missing. Something is just missing. And it started pretty much straight away with that 1-0 loss against Western Sydney, which at the time a lot of people thought, you know what, it was a little bit of an unlucky goal to concede. Second game of the season, will probably rebound. The 2-0 loss in the derby to City was disappointing. Vitor went down to 10 men after half an hour and probably arguably had the better of it in that 90 minute, in that in that hour after the red card. So, it, once again, disappointing, but you can kind of say, you know what, red card, it shit happens. A 0-0-0 away at Brisbane was one of the most boring games I think I've ever watched in my life, which is a theme, which is going to become a theme. Um, the 4-0 win over the Jets was great, and the 3-0 loss away to Adelaide was just was just in, inexcusable. The 1-0 win away at MacArthur was, once again, boring as batshit, but victory won. And, of course, that game, then, then, then of course, the derby happened, I mean, fucking, uh, I've spoken about it enough. We all know what happened in the derby. And victory were shit before the derby, and they were even worse after the derby. And do I say that what happened in the derby may have had an effect? Um, Yes, I I think it did have an effect. I think what happened at the derby in December definitely, definitely had an effect on the season. Um, Definitely had an effect on the season. And it definitely had an effect on the psyche of the players. And it definitely did negatively impact the squad, in my opinion. Following that, a 1-0 loss at Western United, very disappointing. A 2-1 loss to Central Coast was very disappointing. Obviously, I'm going to say very disappointing as if any of those results are good results. The 1-0 loss at home to Brisbane was just inexcusable. The one-all draw, um, the one-all draw uh, away at Adelaide, once again, disappointing. 3-0 loss to Perth, 2-1 loss to Sydney. 3-1 win over Wellington was a, was a good result. 2-1 loss to Newcastle was poor. The 3-2 win in the derby was very good, was very good. And that is, that is of course, something that gave Vichy fans some hope. It's like, all right, if we can win this derby, we can kick on with the rest of the season. Drew to Adelaide at home. Obviously, we all know Irukunda strike was unbelievable that game. And then, of course, a 1-0 loss to Sydney. Very disappointing. And the overall summation of this season is just boring. It is boring, boring, boring football. Like, it is just so... I don't know how to describe it. The way I would describe it is flaccid. Like, that, like I don't even know if that's an accurate term, but it's just flaccid, boring, just stale football. Defensively shocking. Offensively bland as fuck. Just bland as vanilla ice cream. 
it's there's no substance to it. There's no substance. Players underperforming, manager underperforming, the squad not squad not clicking. Yes, injuries haven't helped, but that's no excuse for a team with the amount of ta- with the with as much talent as Victory have got. If we bring up the heat map, if we bring up the heat map from the game against Sydney, is it this one? It is this one. This is the heat map for the game against Sydney. Now it's set up in a four two three one in a way. It's set up in a four two three one. 4-4-2, that's how Sofa Score have got it set up. But basically, we can see what it is here, right? You've got the four at the back, Kadete pushing slightly for the forward, then Garia, Falami and Filippo on either side, Chapman and Berlante in the middle, which we'll speak about. And then, of course, this, this of course, in this game, Fornaroli did drop slightly deeper, which allowed Economides to break on in between, break on in behind. I don't mind that in theory. I don't mind that in theory because Bruno is very technically gifted, very intelligent. He's very intelligent and is a player that can play in the number 10. So I don't mind that. And I don't mind Economides playing slightly further forward because he's very quick. At his best, he has a good eye for goal. He's physically quite capable, but this season he's just drastically underperformed, like horrendously underperformed. And he's been very, very poor. Same with Forn- same with um, F- uh, Ben Falami. He has been very, very, very poor. And for a player who took very took a lot of strides last season, it's quite disappointing to see. But what does he show? What does he show? It doesn't show anything. This 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 heat map. I know heat maps you take them with a grain of salt, obviously. But when you look at heat maps, they do give a pretty good indication of the way teams would like to set up and how they would like to play. And there's nothing here. It's just boring. Like, it is just bland football. Just bland, boring, basic, vanilla football. And I want to bring up some stats. I'll cut back to me now. Because when we think about victory this season, and the reason why I wanted to speak about that midfield two in particular is because I feel like this season, and I know Chapman hasn't been a victory for quite a while. Berlante has been the stalwart, is the captain, um, is the captain of the team. He he's past it. With all due respect, he he's past it. I don't see a way Victory can even contend for a final again with him, let alone playing like captain, let alone playing right. And the, and I think a stat that kind of that kind of bring this up is the fact that Victory Victory have nine point six point nine four average interceptions per ninety. That is the lowest in the league by quite a considerable amount. And what this shows is we're just so easy to bypass, just so easy to play through, so easy to carve open, and we have no urgency. There is no urgency to press high. There's no urgency to be on the front foot, be aggressive out of possession, be have this intensity, have this will to take the game take the game to the opposition. What we saw last year with victory at times, well, pretty much all of the season, is in possession, but out of possession as well. It was front foot, aggressive, high press. Not, not not like high, intense pressing, but when they get the ball, go to them quickly. Press high, be aggressive. But don't don't be afraid to commit a foul. Gamble, put it, stick your foot in. Gamble to get that interception so we can get that quick counter. Now, and even in possession, it was get on the ball, take a man on, use your overlaps, quick in, incisive passes, get a lot of shots off, test the keeper, be aggressive, be high tempo, be be eccentric at times, be erratic. Don't don't give the opposition a position to to kind of know what you're going to do. Whereas this season, I'm going to bring up some stats in a moment. Show that not only a victory ridiculously easy to bypass and ridiculously easy to play through 
Victory are the most, like, the the most blunt team in the league. The attacking potency with a team that consists of Economides, Fornaroli, Ben Falami, Falupele. Um, I mean, Bruce Kamau, Bruce Kamau has just signed. Nick D'Agostino, Nani, um, obviously with Victory signed that fit. Fernando Romero as well. For for a team that has a, a like ridiculous amounts of attacking talent. The, the way that, like, the output is just horrendously, horrendously poor. Here's some stats. So, Victory average 32% shots on, have, have a 32% shot on target percentage. It's the second lowest in the league, which means 32% of Victory shots are on target, which is the second lowest in the league. They have a 0.07 goals per shot ratio, ranking the second lowest in the league. And they have a 0.22 goals per shot on target in the league, ranking second bottom. They And this that shows how blunt they are attackingly. Defensively, these are concerning. 3.61 shots on target against per 90, the second lowest. And 0.32 goals per shot on target. No, sorry. My mistake. 3.61... Sorry, this is the set that I wanted to say. 3.61 shots on target per 90 against. That is the second lowest. Which means Vitri concede the second lowest amount of shots on target per game. Good. That's that's a good, no? That's good until you see this. 0.32 goals per shot on target against. The second highest. So what that shows is... Teams don't need to pepper victory with shots because victory is so easy to break down and are so easy to pass through and are so easy to create clear-cut opportunities against that what's the point of taking random pot shots from 30 yards where you can just play one, two passes and all of a sudden you're one-on-one with the goalkeeper? That's why teams don't need a lot of shots to score goals because the shots that they're taking are from really, really easy positions to score because victory is so easy to break down. So when you get a team, when you get a team that concedes a lot of shots on target against, one of two things, one of two things is the reason behind it. One thing is because teams have to pepper shots from ridiculous angles that are going to get blocked or they're going to be easy saves from the goalkeeper because teams are very hard to break down, or what the case is with victory. Because if it was if it was what I just said, if that was the case, the goals per shot on target ratio would be very low. The goals per shot on target ratio for victory against is very high, meaning what's the point in taking around the pot shot from 30 yards, which the keeper will easily save, when we can just play one pass here, one pass there, all of a sudden we're in behind and we've got a much easier chance of scoring and probably then have actually scoring the goal. It's just absurd. and It's just, it like, I know the signing of, of Damien De Silva has been pretty good. I thought he played okay on the weekend, but it, it was just so bland. It's just so boring. I think the, the 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 omission, not the omission, the absence is, is of Rai Marchand is something that is understated. Victory last year struggled a lot without him. Struggled a lot without him. Victory went on that period last year. Um, if I can, if I can bring it up, um, Victory last season when they were when they were very good, went on this period throughout the season where they had underperformed. They lost maybe three or four games in a row. Yeah, they lost lost the Phoenix away one nil. Marshan didn't play in that game. They lost to the Jets at home 2-1. Marshan didn't play in that game. And they lost to the Wanderers 2-0. Marshan 
don't think he played that game. He didn't play that game. And then I'm pretty sure he returns against Central Coast. No, he doesn't return against Central Coast, but it goes to show that without him, Vichy were struggling were struggling big time. They lost three in a row. They lost um three in a row uh three in a row with him out. They lost three in a row with him out with him out and his absence was heavily felt. And I think it's been heavily felt again this year. Um he's obviously missed what was it, five 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 or so games. He was on the bench on the weekend, but he missed I think five or so games with concussion. Pretty sure it was a concussion anyway. Um yeah, his absence has been sorely missed. There's just a lot wrong. A lot wrong and I think this does fall to the manager. This does fall to the manager, and I think it is a. I, I think he has to go. I think he does. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. It's really tricky. It's tricky because, you can say he needs to go, but who do you replace him with? Do you write this season off? I think you do because I think Vichy have to win seven of their last eight games to even have a sniff at finals or something along those lines. So. And the season is but is all but a write off. So, I don't really think you can, kind of say let's keep him and push for the push for finals. I don't know. Who do you get in? That's the question. Who do you get in? Because it's not as if there is a clear, obvious answer unless you try post someone from the MPL. Um, MPL enthusiasts will probably know some some potential candidates for that. Um, I probably am not knowledgeable enough to be certain in my predictions. There's some names in mind, but I don't really know. I don't want to say them and risk being made a fool out of. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. If you're a Vichy fan, if you're an A-League fan, do they... Do, it, should Vichy sack Popovich? Because we all know the way that Tony Popovich likes to play football. For the most part, he's quite quite defensively minded and hasn't had the best of records in grand finals so if Vichy were to get there we don't know what would happen there is this his ceiling is he regressing as a manager is it just wrong fit wrong squad wrong timing just or is it a thing of everything has gone wrong this season let's rebound keep him get some signings flesh out all the dead wood and re-go again next year I don't know I guess let me know your thoughts in the comments below. But um, yeah, I think that's enough for speaking on victory because otherwise I'll go insane. Um, let's go on. Let's speak on... Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to the other Melbourne side who lost 4-2 over the weekend to Adelaide. Um, just a couple of things I want to speak on. How good is it seeing Cooper's stadium pumping? Absolutely pumping off its rocker. One of the best stadiums in the league. I've, sp- I've spoken about that countless times, but they are one of the best stadiums. It is one of the best stadiums in the league, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah, he's a yeah. It's a it's a great great stadium. Once again, I I, I shout out to the, I, I scream at the I scream from the hilltops um, about how good stadiums like Cooper Stadium is, and I think it needs to be a it needs to be a mainstay of um it needs to be a mainstay of the competition in terms of grounds like that. But yes, yeah, of course a four two win for Adelaide United. Um and the winning goal scored by who who would have thunk it? Who would have guessed it? Nestori Irakunda. Um just an absolute baller. Like a baller. Like he's a freak. He's a freak. He's absurd. Like like if if like a couple of things a couple of, a couple of things about Irakunda which I think are very important to say when you're speaking about him from a couple of different perspectives. Firstly, 
if he was Brazilian, if he was English, if he was Portuguese, if he was from Uruguay, if he was from practically anywhere other than Australia, he would be one of the most promising and one of the most talked about youngsters in the world because he's that good. Like, he's that good, right? So that, that's the first thing. Secondly, how many other how many other Nestor Iroquindas are there out there in Adelaide, Melbourne, Perth, Sydney, Newcastle, Darwin, Northern Territory, Geelong, Ballarat, Wollongong, Albury, wherever that can't pay fourteen hundred bucks a year to send their kid to play soccer. How how many other how many other families are there that just can't afford it and thus aren't sending them to play soccer and thus Australia are potentially losing out on some world class talent? because of the way that football's run and because of the way it's an elitist sport. It's 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 a shame. It's a massive shame. It is a huge shame because these success the success story of Irukunda, the success stories of Garan Kual, who have come from very, very, very humble beginnings, right? Very humble beginnings. And have been given this opportunity to succeed and are succeeding, right? There is thousands more of potential stories like that, but the way that football's run and the way that the way that it ha- the way that it's governed it doesn't allow those success- those potential success stories to be fulfilled, which is setting back this game countless countless years, countless years because you can't rely on like like, like I don't I don't I don't want to use the all the best talents in the world come from humble beginnings and come from poor backgrounds and are people who are slightly less well off when they were younger because there are there are exceptions to that rule there are people who you know in in every sport who have been very well off in their childhood and who have had those opportunities given to them because of their because of their potential affluence and thus have use the natural talent that they've got with the resources that they've been given to be a very good sportsman or sportswoman, right? I'm not I'm not saying that all good talent comes from come from unfortunate or come from miss uh, or come from slightly less off backgrounds, right? I'm not saying that in the slightest. But what I am saying is that they're not there's not no one that come there's not no potential talent that comes from these backgrounds and comes from these childhoods and comes from these upbringings. So, why are we why are we kind of I want to say segregating, but why are we um, kind of restricting a lot of people, a lot of families, from potentially helping football in this country because, for whatever reason, it costs your left your liver and your left arm, and you need to remortgage your house to play community club in Bandura, like. Like, why is that a thing? I don't get it. And I mean, I, this, I, I'm. It's not like I'm reinventing the wheel by having this conversation. It's been have. It's been had countless, countless, countless times. I just think every time at Irukunda, every time Garan Kual, every time any any of these players who have, who who defy the logic of Australian football's development system, every time they do something well, and every time they 
silence the doubters and silence the haters, this is a conversation that's to be brought up because eventually the dam will burst and eventually we're going to be we're going to see reform, much needed reform in the way that development, in the way that football the football development is in this country, right? But yeah, that's that's just a side note. Okay, what else are we going to speak about A League wise? Um, if I can get my run shit up, that'd be good. Um, oh yes, this is what I want to speak about. Okay, so of course the Socceroos are playing some friendlies against Ecuador very soon. I think it's against Ecuador anyway. Um, I'm I'm ninety percent sure, ninety ninety percent sure. Um, yeah, in March, the twenty fourth and the twenty eighth of March against Ecuador. Now, I don't know. I think some. I think some squads. I think the squad has been announced. I don't know. I, I was he- I'm hearing some rumors that the squad has potentially been announced, and like it's going to be basically the same as the World Cup squad. I don't know. But basically, this guy's this is a good excuse to speak about some players who potentially do need some call ups because, of course, the Asian Cup has been announced to be basically a year a year to the day, not to the day, but I think it's about ten months from now. So early early 2024 um, is when the Asian Cup, the next Asian Cup, will be. So let's look at some potential players who need some call-ups. Firstly, I've got five players here. They all play in the A-League, um, which is a good sign. But firstly, I've got two players from Western Sydney, and you don't have to be Albert Einstein to figure out who they are. The first one, Brendan Borello. Now, I think he's a player that could, if he is given the chance, really, really change the dynamic of the Socceroos in the front half, because he's almost he's a very... I wouldn't say different type of winger to what we've got because because Australia the Socceroos do have do have a, a wide range of wingers so Brenda Brella is not going to come in and basically um, and basically reinvent the wheel in terms of in terms of where he's going to play right but he does have the ability to move slightly centrally he's a little bit more direct um, he's a little bit more of a goal scoring style winger rather than like a playmaker so he is. In a similar mould to Martin Boyle in a sense, but he's got four goals in his last three games. He's got um, how many goals he season has he got? He's got he's got eight goals from nineteen starts, two assists as well. I think why not give him a chance? He's a player that has been almost on the periphery in a sense of the Socceroos squad for a long time in terms of he's always a player that we've always thought is going to eventually make that step but never has until maybe this season. He's 27 years of age. He's going to turn 28 throughout the middle of the year. I think why not? Give him a chance to shine. He's had a very, very good season uh, for Western Sydney who are doing very well this season um, in the league. I think it is. it would be a very good time to get someone like Barella in to just give a bit of a different dynamic because it seems like the winger, the wingers for the Socceroos have basically been Mabil and Boyle, and that's it for a very long time. Lecky and Goodwin as well. That's it for quite a while, right? For almost a couple of years now. So, getting a, getting some different players into the into the team on those on that wing, um, on the wings, could be something that um, could be something that could be an avenue in which Graham Arnold could go down. I would like to see that very much. So, um, yeah. I think, yeah, Borello. Okay, let's move on. Then let's move on to his Western Sydney Wanderers teammate. I think, once again, we all know who I'm going to mention, Callum Nuanoff. He is a very, 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 very talented footballer. Another player who has been a mainstay and a stalwart in Western Sydney's um, 
in Western Sydney's very, very good season so far. Started 19, played 19, started 19, as you saw, almost bo- defensive box-to-box style midfielder. Um, he has been shoved around in different positions. Of course, the addition of Morgan Schneiderlin has, ups- I wouldn't say upset that midfield dynamic, but has definitely um, changed it to an extent. Of course, he's playing alongside um, Mils Ninkovic as well, Oli Bazanic as well. So there is a little bit of a different midfield mix in which Neuenhoff has been shoved to the side at times throughout the season, especially since since Schneiderlin has come in. But if he's given... I mean, he's a player that can play a lot of different roles. He can play in a double pivot, in which he basically played over the weekend. Um, he, yeah, he can play in a double pivot, in which, he, in which he basically played over the weekend. And he is a player that... Um, yeah, he's a player that can also sit slightly deeper, can be almost like a holder, hold in playing in that holding midfield role. Role, but he's also he's also technically gifted as well. So he can he's in a slouch on the ball. He's in a purely defensively minded midfielder. Can has the engine to go quite a can go quite a way. I wouldn't say he's a now now box to box midfielder, but I would say he does like to do most of his work in that he does like to do most of his work behind the halfway line. But can if needed make that make those um make those runs or can or can do some work in the attacking half. When you look at the midfield talent that the Socceroos have, it is probably our most stacked position position. Um, of course, when you're thinking defensively, mind you, you're thinking Bacchus, Devlin, um, even Kenny Dougal as well. He's a player that has been that a lot of people have been calling out for to be given a couple of caps. Um, so you got those three, and then you've got Aaron Moy, Krustic, Metcalf, McGree, um, Genro, a lot of different players, right? A lot of players who can make a difference and who can fill those, mid- those midfield roles. When you think of Graham Arnold's system, you're still, you are thinking of like a three-man midfield, um, three-man midfield, almost like a two-man midfield with like a shadow striker. So where does he fit into that? I don't know, but I would love to see him get it called up to the squad. I'd love to see him get him a couple of minutes and to show what he can do, to show what to show just how much talent the A-League has. Um, so yeah, let's move on to the third player on this list. And it's a player who, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really know a lot of prior to this season, but has scored some goals, so scored quite a few goals in his recent games. Scored quite quite a few goal, quite a few goals in his recent games and is a player that could be very, very crucial for the Socceroos if he can make that jump. And he's only twenty one years old. I'm not gonna put a lot of expectations on the kid, especially considering he has only he's scored five goals. He's got four goals in his last four games. And um, in his last, in his last, yeah, in his last, he scored four goals in his last four, four games, and he hasn't really scored a whole lot after that. He scored four goals in six starts for West United. Of course, talking about Noah Botic, Botic, Botic. I'll go Botic. Um, now I'm not going to speak too much about him as a player because I don't haven't watched enough of him to fully understand him as a player. But the reason why I want to bring him up is because, of course, I've seen his goal scoring, um, his goal scoring form. It's very good and. I was looking at Socceroos number nines, and that is the position in which I think the Socceroos are lacking in desperately when we're looking at the future. Of course, you've got Duke, McLaren, um, Taggart, and Cummings, all players who are coming towards the twilight of their career or are coming towards the end of their prime. We are we need to be looking towards some players who will take who will be the future of the Socceroos as in that num- in that number nine role. And someone like Nobotic. If it's not going to be Patrick Wood, if it's not going to be Al Hassan Toure, if it's not going to be Mohamed Toure, we need someone. We need someone to take that mantle and to drive with and to drive with it and to take it and to stamp his authority as a V striker for the Socceroos for the next ten years. Because unless Australia are going to move Irukunda forward, unless Australia are going to be looking to play Irukunda as a number nine, 
I doubt it. I don't think he's best suited to that role unless they're going to play Garen Quall as a nine. I don't know. I don't know. But what we can say is that there are maybe four or five players, like I said. I don't think it's going to be someone like Patrick Wood. don't think it's going to be someone like an Alessandro Mohamature. I could be proven wrong, though. Um, someone like a Kashini Yenji as well. He's a player who I was really high on, especially when he made his name for Adelaide. and um, Made his name for Adelaide, I think it was a couple of seasons back. Scored that goal against victory. Um, I thought he definitely has a lot of... He de- I mean, he definitely has a lot of talent. Just hasn't really been able to put it together. Hopefully, Botti can put it together. But I think he kind of represents maybe five or six different young Australian strikers who have been who have been on the periphery. Nick D'Agostino is another one. Who have been on the periphery, haven't been able to break through. And if they can, bang, they've they're the striker who can lead us forward with his with I mean he's got how much supply are they gonna have with Rustic, McGree, Qual, Irakunda, Janro, hopefully, Tilio, etc. Right? So that's Botic. Let's move on. Final two players. Um, and these two players play for the same team. So this helps in terms of getting stats up and etc. But both of them play for league leaders, Melbourne City, who have had a fantastic season so far. One of them plays in a very similar position to Carl Nornoff. It is, of course, Aidan O'Neill. Now, Aidan O'Neill isn't exactly a um, isn't exactly a player that has been... Um, He's exactly like a young, up-and-coming prospect, similar to Brendan Brother. That he's a little bit more experienced. He's twenty-four years old. Will be twenty-five. Um, will be twenty-five throughout the middle of the year. But he's just solid. Like he's just solid. I don't think he's going to be a player that that will completely transform the Socceroos. But give him a cap. Give him a go. I think he's just solid. Like a very, very solid footballer. Can sit at the base of the midfield. Can sit solid for the forward if needed as well. Very good ball player. Very, very good ball player. Just solid. Just a really, really solid, composed, intelligent, technical, but also a little bit of a prick. Also a little bit of a prick. And that's what you want, especially when you're playing in that number six role. You want to be, you want to stick your foot in. You want to be, you want to let the opposition turn you, let them know you're there. So, um, yeah, Aiden O'Neill. Like I said, there's not really a whole lot to speak about him because he isn't exactly a, um, he isn't like an Irakunda or a, um, or like a player who's going to set the world alight. He will just be solid. But once again, he's another one of those players who could suffer because of the midfield talent that the Socceroos have. He would be probably competing with the likes of Devlin and Bacchus. Uh, Graham Arnold did go with backers in the World Cup instead of Devlin for when he wanted that slightly more defensive security. Um, of course, Bacchus another player that did come from the A-League, right? So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see. But the fact that we've, got, that we've got a lot of talented players who aren't getting a look in is a good sign. And I think the last player who plays for Melbourne City, who um, we all know, we all know who I'm going to say, right? I don't really think this man needs introduction, but this man is going to be the left back for the Socceroos for the next decade. I'm of course talking about Jordi Boss. He is a star boy. He's he's a talent. He's a talent. Um, I've been ever since I first saw him play. I mean, he he was he played for Melbourne. He played last year um, for City, and I was like, yeah, this this boy can play. And then ever since, yeah, he, so did he play last year? He did, didn't he? he played, he, yeah, he did. did play last year. 
So ever since I first saw him, I was like, yeah, this boy can play. But I was just like, I just wanted to make sure that he that that he can see this see this form through. And his last maybe month or so, two months, three months has been very very good for Melbourne City. I think he has everything everything to be a world class left back, like a very 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 good left back. I think he. I just think he's. I just think he's brilliant. I just think he's brilliant. Like I just think he's great. I think he's so good. And once again, I was th- speaking about the striker position. Left back is a position where it's been Aziz Beach and then not not a lot else. Joel King has been there. Jason Davidson's been there. Alex Gershback. A lot of these players have been thereabouts, but not grabbed that brass ring. Similarly to someone like an Obotic, if he can grab that brass ring of that number nine role. This Jordy Boss's Jordy Boss's Socceroos career kind of is very streamlined. Crack into the squad now, be deputy to Aziz. Aziz retires. Up you step. It is very streamlined. He just needs to make sure that his career trajectory goes like this, preferably like that. But if it goes like this, a lot of people aren't going to be complaining. So yeah, your boss, another Melbourne City player, academy player. Yeah, I'm pretty sure academy player. Yeah, academy player. So that academy, eh? It's, it's produced some talent. It's produced some talent. So fair, fair goes to them. But yeah, they're the four play. They're the five players that I think should be in. Should be should be definitely be given a Socceroos cap in the very near future. All right, let's move on. The final talking point. Jesus Christ, an hour and a half, pretty much. Wow, I speak a long time, don't I? And this is all in one take as well. So I haven't even stopped for a break. There you go. All right, let's move. Let's finish things up finally. As my laptop's on twenty six percent, so hopefully it doesn't die on me. National second division. I'll speak about this briefly because the thirty two teams, or the the expression of interest, is closed. So there's been thirty two teams who have who have put in their um, who have put in their application. So I'll run you through them now. I want to speak about my potential sixteen teams that I would w- want to see, um, and then um, and then I want to speak about as well something I saw on Twitter, which if I can remember in about two minutes' time, I'll speak about. If not, I'll move on and I'll pretend it never happened. But basically, there's there's the thirty two teams. So you've got Canberra, Croatia, and Gungalin United from ACT. I hope I pronounced that right. You've got Appia, Blacktown, Fraser Park, Marconi, Rockdale, Sutherland Sharks slash Cronulla Sharks. So I assume that might be a joint bid. Um, Sydney Olympic, Sydney United, and Wollongong, and then Valentine FC, Brisbane Brisbane FC, Brisbane City FC, I should say. And then you've got Brisbane United FC, which is Wyndham Wolves, Brisbane Strikers, and Virginia United FC. Once again, I think that's a joint bid. Gold Coast Knights FC, Gold Coast United Football Club. They're back. Olympic FC, Peninsula Power, Sunshine Coast. You've got Adelaide City. You've got Football South Australia, which has Campbelltown City Soccer Club, Northeastern Metro Stars, West Torrance, Birkala. I think that's how you pronounce that. Um, once again, I'm assuming that's a joint bid. Then you've got Playford City Soccer and Community Club. South Hobart FC, you've got Avondale, Bentley, Brunswick Juventus, Green Gully, Melbourne Knights, Heidelberg United, Preston Lions, South Melbourne. And then from Western Australia, you've got Cockburn City Soccer Club and Spearwood, Spearwood Dalmatikna, I don't know, joint bid from Western Australia. Um, yeah, Cockburn City FC. That's It's funny because of the word cock. Um, all right. 
so let's so basically the sixteen teams that I think I haven't pre I haven't pre pre, pre planned this, so I'm just gonna run through the teams. I would have I'm not gonna do them I'm not gonna have a quota based on I think like I'm not gonna have you must have three teams from Queensland or three teams from from bloody Zimbabwe. Like I'm just gonna do it based on what I want. Um I think Canberra Croatia Canberra Croatia are in Apia Marconi Sydney Olympic I was going to say Sydney United, but we'll keep those on standby. Wollongong, Brisbane City, Gold Coast United, Peninsula Power, Adelaide City, Avenda- uh, we'll go South, Heidelberg, Bentley, Avondale. That's 14. No, that's 13. Is it? Yeah, it's 13. Um, South Hobart, probably. It's 14. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I said Bentley or Brunswick Juventus or Green Gully or Preston and then Sydney United. I don't know. It's tight. It's tough. A lot of people are calling for Preston United. Preston, Preston United. Preston Lions, I should say. Um... A lot of people going for Preston Lions. They do play in NPL two though, so I don't know what the go is with that. Granted, I don't know where. I'm assuming most of the other teams play in the top division of their NPL of their NPL. And then Sydney United is a tough one as well, because of what's obviously happened, what the recent developments. For those who don't know, just it it's not the Australia Cup fiasco. There's another thing that's happened, so look it up. Um, I don't know. It's tight. It's tough. There's definitely. Put it this way, there's definitely enough for 16. There's definitely, which is a good sign. There's definitely enough for 16. So 16 team comp, 30 games, home and away, plus finals, plus the Australia Cup, will give, bang, there's your, there's your problem solved of not playing enough football, right? 30 games is, at this stage, a good enough amount. Yeah. Let me run through them again. Canberra, Croatia, there's one. Appia, Marconi... Papia Marconi. Sydney Olympic Wollongong, that's five. Brisbane City six. Gold Coast United seven. Olympic oh, Peninsula Power eight. Adelaide City nine. Avondale ten. Um South eleven. Heidelberg twelve. Bentley Bentley or Green Gully. I think take your pick between either one of them too. 13, Preston potentially 14, Sydney United potentially 15, did I say Blacktown City maybe, South Hobart maybe, I mean the, the, the joint bid with the South Australian teams, the joint bid with the um, Brisbane United FC which is the three teams, the joint bid there, Olympic FC, Sunshine Coast FC, like I don't, I'm not too clued up on, on other states. Another state's NPL. I'm far more clear up on the Victorian one, but yeah, let me know your let me know your sixteen teams in the comments below. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. All right, let's okay, let's finish things up. An hour and a half. Jesus Christ, I speak for 
fucking ages, don't I? All right, quick fire preview. Quick fire preview because I want to get this done because my laptop's about to die. Um, Benfica versus Club Bruges in the Champions League. I'm going to go Benfica 1-0. They go through 3-0. And I'm going to go Chelsea versus Dortmund. 3-0 Chelsea at the bridge. We're going to go through 3-1. Bayern Munich versus PSG. I'm going to go with 2-1 Bayern Munich. Um, Bayern Munich go through 3-1 on aggregate. Spurs versus Milan. I go 1-0. Milan go through 2-1 on aggregate. There you go. Um, Jesus Christ, there's, Euro there's Europa League as well. Okay, Leverkusen versus some club from Bulgaria. I think it's Bulgaria. Is it Bulgaria? 90% sure it's Bulgaria. Is it Bulgaria? It's hungry. Okay, the, regardless. Leverkusen, 2-0. Roma versus Sociedad. Roma, 1-0. Sporting versus Arsenal. 1-0. Um, Union versus some club from Belgium. I'm going to go 2-0. Juventus versus Freiburg. Freiburg, 1-0. United versus Batiste. United, 3. United, 2-0. Sevilla versus Fenerbahce. Um 2-0. Shakhtar versus Feyenoord. 2-1 Shakhtar. Um, any other A-League games? Any other interesting Prem games? Um, no, there's not. Sweet. All right, I'm off. Thank you very much for watching. Make sure you subscribe to the Two Point Tank Podcast. If you have st if you have stuck around all this time, thank you very very much. I do appreciate it. I I the funny thing is, I went to this podcast thinking I'm going to make this a slightly shorter podcast. I'm going to smash through the the non Australian football chat. Go a little bit deeper on the Australian football chat. Um, I'm going to be out of here by forty minutes. It's an hour and a half. There you go. All right. Thank you very much for watching another episode of the Two Point Tank Podcast. Subscribe, like. That subscriber goals are 20th of April. 19 more subscribers would mean the world. But yes, thank you very much. Where are we here? Here we go. Thank you very much. See you guys next week. And goodbye.